So we'll be reading from Mark 12, 13 to 17. All right. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed him one, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Good morning, Refuge family. It's good to see some of you that are here. Good to see you that are out there. Uh, We have been living in some really unique times, haven't we? And uh, these times, we know, if you've read a little bit of history, come around from different seasons and different eras, Uh, but many firsts in our own personal experience. And there's something about living life and keeping a mindset that is focused on God and his way of doing things. I don't know about you, I'm pretty easily distracted I was uh, I was talking to someone this morning who shared with me and said, you know, I live inside my head a good deal of the time. And I had to be honest and say, you know, I live inside my head about most of the time, almost all the time. And if God invites, uh, well, he invites many things from us, but among what he asks us to do is to get outside of our own mindset and have our mindset transformed and changed into his mindset. And the passage we have today is once again a picture and a reality, a story that we can comprehend, a story that we could actually imagine ourselves participating in, in which Jesus is saying, People, people who are my followers, people who aren't my followers but who are opposed to me, people come to your senses, pay attention, get outside of your own mindset and your own agendas. Have you ever think about what it would be like to walk around in that first century with Jesus, to be one of the one of the people that followed him around, you know, going from place to place, 
arriving in different towns, different neighborhoods, and everything that went on. And it must have been really something, because here you are, you're with a man who gets everybody's attention. I mean, nobody is neutral about Jesus. Uh, People are either all in, oh, you know, tell us, tell us more, we want to know, we want to be a part of this. Uh, Or people are on the outside and opposed to him and saying, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. He is just upending everything we know. He's going to mess up our plans. He's going to mess up our society. we got to get rid of him. And you, you do have kind of that middle ground people, but, but they're, not, they're not on the outside either because they're, they're liking some of the things Jesus does, like give them plenty of food to eat. Uh, make them well from their sicknesses. They like that, but they don't really care for his approach to life and his view of the world and how things ought to be done. But no one is neutral when it comes to Jesus. And, and what I want to invite myself to first and foremost, and what I want to invite you to this morning is that we look at this passage together and we say, well, I'm not going to be neutral. Which way am I going to go with this? How am I going to understand it? I love what's happening here because Jesus has been in these encounters with uh, kind of three groups of people, the chief priests. Okay, These are the religious heads of Judaism. These are the people who control the temple life. These are the people who, who manage and lay out. This is what being a religious Jew looks like in the first century. And then uh, there's also these, the second group of people, the teachers of the law. These are the Bible scholars. These are the academics. These are the people reading books, reading the scriptures, reading the commentaries, reading all of that. And then thirdly, you've got the elders. Uh, Now, don't get in your mind elders like, oh, Brent's an elder of refuge. You know, don't, don't think of Brent when you read elders here. Don't think of Nikolai or John. Uh, don't, don't think of me, okay? Uh, elders that are spoken of here are more, more like community leaders. Uh, small neighborhood, local sort of govern, governing bodies, governing people recognized in smaller communities as people that are in charge. But the elders really control everyday community life within that community. So you've got these three together, and they're collaborating, and they have been really throughout the Gospel of Mark, through the whole story of Jesus. Early on, they began to decide, uh, Jesus can't be the guy. We're not going to put our hopes in him. Whatever he is, he's not what we're hoping for. We're not going for that. And so they've already been working together to try to get rid of Jesus. 
And this is really the next step in their planning and plotting. And they say, okay, we're going to send some people to him to ask some questions that he can't possibly answer. <clears throat> and who are we going to send? Fascinating verse 13. Who is it that they send to ask Jesus the questions? I'm asking you to participate. So if you're here, you can call out the answer. If you're at home, you know, shout the answer at your computer. Uh, turn to the people in your family. Tell them the answer. Who is it that these three groups, chief priests, teachers of the law, elders, who is it that they send to ask Jesus the impossible question? I'm not going on until you answer. Pharisees, first of all. Okay? Who are the Pharisees? Think of the Pharisees, just to get your head wrapped around it, think of the Pharisees as the religious nationalists of their day. They are all about ethnic Judaism. There's the nationalism part. And they are all about keeping the religious rules precisely without fail. Now, of course, anybody who says, I'm going to keep the rules without fail, how do they accomplish that? Well, first of all, they don't. But how do they attempt to accomplish that? They say, I'll make the rules. I'll tell you what the rules are. And then if you're not in my group, too bad for you. You got to do it the way I say you have to do it. This is the Pharisees, the religious nationalists of their day. Okay. Second group, followers of Herod. Some translations try to make that into one word because we don't really have an English word for it. The Herodians. You know, we have Republicans, okay, and Democrats, and these are the Herodians. These are the people who are wanting to collaborate with Herod. Herod, the Herods, really, were, there was more than one, were Jewish leaders that under the authority of Rome were given these little small regional kingdoms. Okay? So when you think of the followers of, heaven, of, of Herod, think of people who are saying, God... Right? God must do his work through the Roman government. Whereas the Pharisees are saying God must do his work through religious nationalism, the Herod group is saying God must do, this is the only way he can do it, his work through the Roman government. Who's right between those two? Neither. Right. So you've got these leaders, elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. They send two parties out to confront Jesus with an impossible question. They're going, they think they're putting Jesus in a real dilemma because is he going to side with the religious nationalists? Or is he going to side with the Herod followers? You know, it's like saying, is, 
Is Jesus going to go, is Jesus going to vote Democrat or Republican? What are we going to do, you know? And we've got him either way. Because if he goes this way, he's going to be against the Roman government. We can get him arrested for that or at least turn him in. If he goes this way, he's going to go against our traditional religion for thousands of years. And we've got him that way because the people never follow that. Here's the agenda. They come to Jesus. Now listen to the way they begin to pose the question because I think we can learn something from this to ask ourselves an important question, which is what the stories of the Bible always invite us to do is to get into the story let yourself participate in it, but then personalize the story. How is this story speaking to me? In what way? You see, we're not meant to read it and go, oh, those darn chief priests and Pharisees and Herodians, uh, of course they're like that. I knew they'd be like that. Good thing I'm okay. What we're invited to do is to say to ourselves, how am I like these people? And they come to Jesus and they begin to ask the question using, I mean, the, only, the word that came into my mind as I was rereading this text in preparation for today, I've read it many times in the past, but rereading it and preparing, the word that came into my mind is these guys are smarmy. Uh, is that even a word, or is that something I made up? I think people use that word, don't they? Smarmy, it's sickly, sweet, sticky, agenda-driven. They're loading these compliments on Jesus. Oh, Jesus, great teacher. We know that you're true. We know that doesn't matter to you what anyone else thinks. We know, Jesus, that you don't just look at the outside of people, but rather you look to God and to his truth. And as I was reading this, and as this word smarmy is stuck in my head, and as I find myself ready to quickly judge those characters that came to Jesus, it's like God brings me up short this week and says, well, how do you approach Jesus, Mike? Are you full of empty words? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, let's go, Sunday, let's sing about him. Sunday, let's be sure we set aside time to get on the video feed and hear about him. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And it's just empty words. Is that the way that you and I approach Jesus? Lots of paid compliments and very little life behind it. And don't you think it could and should 
be different. You know, I'm not, I'm not a good maker of New Year's resolutions. I've got that challenge. Anybody with me there? I'm not very good at making them, okay? I'm certainly not good at keeping them, the ones I do finally eke out and make. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah. It's January, what, 3rd today? Uh, anybody still going on your resolution? No, don't raise your hand for that. People at home, don't raise your hand because somebody else in your household is going to notice. But wouldn't we like for it to be different? Well, let's see what Jesus presents to these false questioners who are setting out to trap him in something he says with trick questions. And their question, the question of the day, boils down to this. Are we obligated to pay taxes to the Roman emperor, to Caesar, or not? That's kind of an important question. Um, We can talk another time about whether you should pay your taxes this year. Uh, That's an important question. But of course they're not asking it with honest intent. They're asking it to entrap him. But the question is about obligation to human government. In this case specifically to the Roman government. A government that does not know the true God. A government that has kind of a surface layer of religiosity in their, in their uh, belief in the gods, the many gods that have influenced uh, society through the years. Okay. To this government... Are we obligated to pay taxes? Now learn a bit from how Jesus answered. Have you, have you ever felt backed into a corner by somebody trying to question your faith or your ethics or your morality or your approach to life? You ever feel backed into a corner? You know? Um, doing counseling, you know, I, I meet people, they, always, they feel backed into corners, they feel trapped so often, and we talk about, well, you're going to, you know, fight, <laughs> flight, or freeze, right? The three responses that people feel under pressure, and Jesus doesn't go any of those ways. Jesus very calmly says, well, okay, in light of your question, bring me a coin. I want to see it. What? I said, somebody fish out a coin. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know. Did they have pockets in their robes? There's a little research project for you. Okay. But somewhere among that group of people with all their agendas and all their directions and all their smarminess and all their false entrapment of Jesus... Somebody says, here, here's a denarius. Here, here's kind of one of the most basic Roman coins. Uh, there were copper coins that were worth less. Uh, this is kind of the lowest 
denomination of silver coin that's being used by the Roman government at the time. Here's a denarius. Jesus takes it. He looks at both sides of it. And he says, okay, whose picture here on the front of the coin? Now I'm going to get myself, I'm about to get myself in trouble. Anybody have a, an American coin on them? No, I mean, we're all cash free, right? And, and there's a shortage of coins, please pay with exact change and all of that. Um, you know, you can look at your Apple Pay, but that's not going to help you, okay. Uh, but imagine me holding up a quarter, okay? And I say, whose picture is on the front of this quarter? I told you I'm going to get in trouble. I can't know whose picture is on a quarter. Washington. I, I'm thinking it's Washington, right? A nickel is Jefferson. A penny is Lincoln. Okay. All right. Who's on the dime? Oh, well, man. Leave it to, you know, school teacher to come up with that. Okay. Here's a quarter. Whose picture's on it? George Washington. What does it say on the back of the coin? I should have prepared for this. I've... Help me out. What does it say on the back of a quarter? Uh, okay. Uh, somewhere on there is in God we trust. Somewhere in there is e pluribus unum, I think. You know, out of many, one. And, and all these mantras. Okay. On the denarius, whose picture's on the front? Caesar. Okay. The current Caesar. On the back side, what's written there around the outside? What we know about what was written. Let me see. I, I jotted it down here. On the denarius of Jesus' time, it said this. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with this more than a history lesson, more than a lesson on coinage through the centuries. It's more important than that. Whose picture's on the front? Caesar. What does it say on the back? Tiberius Caesar Augustus, the son of the divine Augustus. Okay? All right, not a hard question, rhetorical question. Who does the coin belong to? Based on that. Caesar. Caesar says, people, you can use this coin. Okay? You can use it for trade. You can use it to get what you want. You can use it to, for buying and selling. You can use it for getting food to eat. You can use this coin. But this is Caesar's coin. It is his possession. That's why when Jesus finally gives his answer... The, the Herodians and the Pharisees who came to Jesus used a word and said, should we give taxes? That was their question. Should we give? Like, it's my choice. Right? They did throw in the word obligated. Are we obligated to make a choice and give? Okay. Jesus changes the word of their question and he says 
you, you need whose coin is this? It's Caesar's. Then return it to him. So instead of using words like obligation and give, Jesus says it's his. Return it to him. Okay. Now, lest you think this is a simple matter of, you know, do you pay sales tax kind of question, for non-Romans under the Roman Empire, Jews in particular, evidence indicates that they were probably paying about 40% of their income in taxes. Okay. So this is not a minimal point to say, you know, you save a few bucks here, right? This is, this is a deep question for living in that world, right? But give it back to Caesar. This is Caesar's coin. Give it back to him. To the government, Jesus says, pay back or return what belongs to them. This is why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 writes to the church in Rome. Rome, get it? Okay, are you tracking where all the connections are here? To the church in Rome, Paul writes this, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, let's not misread this. doesn't mean God is happy with all governments. But God has let them be. By God's permission, they are there. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, if you rebel against the authority... You're rebelling against what God has instituted. And those that do so will, will bring judgment on themselves. Paul goes on to say, uh, talk about good behavior, that governments punish bad behavior. It's necessary to submit. Paul says in Romans 13:5, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And this is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their time to governing. Therefore, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. All right, let's get a little personal. What are the things out there in our surroundings that belong to the government. Uh, there's, there's a, uh, you know, you can drive in either direction. Eventually you'll come to a stop sign. Who put that stop sign there? Some governing authority put the stop sign there. Should you stop at the stop sign, according to God? Seems like you should. Okay. Whose imprint is on that? <laughs> stop, if it says stop. Okay, want to get a little personal? What's the speed limit on Fulton Road? 
was about 95, I think, right? Uh, Who put that 45-mile-an-hour sign there? Challenge. (laughs) Return to the government. What is the government's? And I'm, I'm not here to be holier than anybody. I do not go 45 on Fulton Road unless somebody's following me. I felt. Uh, do you have to tell things that you hear in church? Um, but you get me, okay? See, I said, do we just come to Jesus with words or do we come with some reality? I want you to think about this. I'm not here to tell you how to do it, how to work it out. I'm certainly not here to tell you you have to have my conscience. That's not the purpose. But let's get serious about what Jesus is saying, even in response to this trick question. Return to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, the next phrase is, and then give to God what is God's, and now we can all go home. Too often how I have read it, too often how God's people, even in that day, have heard Jesus speak. They hear what he says. They're blown away. They're blown away probably not because of how, of the profundity of what Jesus says. They're blown away because they can't believe he, these guys tried to trick him and he slipped out of the trap. That's why they're so amazed. But I want us to be blown away by what Jesus said. He chooses his words very carefully. When he says to them, okay, let me answer the Caesar question first. Some things are Caesar's, return those to Caesar. Be serious about that, even if it's 40% of your life. Sorry about your rights. Sorry about ease and comfort. Do it. Now, he is not, though, saying, and, like, this is the separation of church and state. That's not what this passage is about. Some things go to the government. Some things go to God. Let's listen back to Jesus' words. Show me a coin. Okay. And pay attention and let me dig in with you even a little deeper. Jesus specifically says, whose image, the Greek word is akon, from which we get the word icon. An icon is nothing in itself. It stands for something else. But he uses the word we're familiar with from the Bible, image. Whose image is on this coin. All right? Now, unspoken, but very true, profoundly between the lines, Jesus says, okay, Mike, come here. Instead of somebody give me a coin, Mike, come here. And Jesus holds me up, and he says, look at Mike. Whose image is that? Right. Look at Allie. Look at Brent. 
Look at Jeff. Whose image is on that person? And the answer, of course, is who, what? God's. Okay. Whose image is here? God's. Jesus then, remember with the coin, he said, whose image? God's. So with the person, Jesus' followers, whose image is there? God's. And then he asked, remember, whose image? And on the back of the coin, whose writing? Or when I translated this for myself, I used the word inscription on the coin because that helps me to hear the word scripture. And whose writing is meant to influence Mike's life. Whose image is stamped there and whose writing? Moses went up on the mountain. God said, I'm going to give you ten words to help you remember my instructions and my laws. What did he do with those ten words, the so-called ten commandments? He wrote them with his finger on stone tablets. Okay. God's inscription. Same language that we're finding Jesus using here. God said through his prophets, specifically through the prophet Jeremiah, hey, when my son, the Messiah, the anointed one, comes and sets up my kingdom, I'm going to do some new writing. Back then I wrote my ten reminder words on tablets of stone. When that new age comes, when the new clarity comes, when the, new, when the king finally appears on the earth, I'm going to write my instructions where? In their hearts. Now, I'm not saying you'll see this if you followed me through everyday life, but I want to tell you the reality. The reality is, in me, in you, each and every one of you, as followers of Jesus, God's image is stamped, God's inscription, instructions are written in your heart. And so, Jesus says, just like the coin, whose image is, okay, return it to Caesar. Here's the image. Here's the inscriptions. Do what? Return it to God. This is not some things belong to government and some things belong to God. This is, yeah, a few small things belong to government, but let me tell you, everything belongs to God. Every aspect of your life, every aspect of my life belongs to God. My entire person belongs to God. Everything you see everything you don't see, everything you can touch and feel, 
everything that is immaterial that you cannot touch and feel. Every single aspect belongs to God. So how are we doing, church family? My strange hope for us this morning is that this passage makes us a little bit uncomfortable. That it prompts us to leave this place, to leave our computer screens, to leave our internal musings and put it to work in external life. And I hope that that discomfort is used by God's Spirit to prompt movement on our part. Do we believe in God the Father Almighty? Do we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord? Do we believe and live in the Holy Spirit in the context of his church and of this world waiting for him to come? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing again. I hope, by the way, uh, most weeks I am watching the service on the video feed and makes me feel a little weird in front of my wife, uh, but I try at least to sing along, you know, not, not so much to annoy her, but to participate. Um, so here, there, as we sing, as we're worshiping, uh, here in the building back there, we have... Uh, bread and the cup for the communion meal. Uh, go back carefully and take one of those. Uh, bring it back to your seat. Eat it and drink it or hold on to it if you'd like uh, to eat and drink it all together. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born the Virgin Mary, who, as we're reading now, is on his way to suffer and be rejected, to be crucified, buried, dead, to rise again. And as we eat and drink and sing and interact and fellowship together in your Holy Spirit. Draw us into that life. Oh God, don't let us be empty and smarmy in our words. Let us be real in our actions. Yes, returning to the human authorities, what's theirs, having all, everything, 100% of who we are in our life and being given to God, given back to you. 
we belong to you. We are yours. We're so glad for that. In Jesus' name, amen.